Warning, this show may contain adult language that is not suitable for all audiences. This is the TSN MMA Show with Aaron Bronstetter and Bazooka Joe Valtellini. Welcome to the interview edition of the TSN MMA Show. I'm your host, Aaron Bronstetter, and we have a lot of great guests to get to. But before we do that, just a heads up that this past week, I launched a bit of a new format for the standard edition of the TSN MMA Show. We have a recap section, headlines, a bit of a betting preview. If you had a chance to check that out, please let me know what you think. Send me a message on Twitter, Instagram, wherever you can find me. And just let me know what you think of it if you like it, and we will continue making that the format going forward because I think it was a lot of fun to kind of shake it up a little bit. But the format remains the same here. It's the interviews that are conducted on a weekly basis, and we have a lot of them to get to. So let's get right into it. We've got the main event of this weekend's UFC Fight Night card, Armand Sarukian taking on Mateus Gamrot. I had a chance to speak with both of them as well as both members of the co-main event. Not the podcast with Chad Dundas and uh, Ben Folks, of course, which I would recommend. Great podcast. But the actual co-main event of this weekend's card, you got Neil Magny taking on Shavkat Rachmanov, one of the big up-and-comers in the UFC right now, who is uh, making waves. I also had a chance to sit down with Don Davis, the PFL chairman and founder, to talk about the future of the PFL, how things have been going this season, and talking about you know his career and how he got into the mixed martial arts game. Also, Bellator coming up. This Friday night, two Canadians on the card that are always enjoyable for me to speak with. Aaron Jeffrey making his debut with the promotion and Mandel Nalo looking to bounce back off of his recent loss and looking to stay busy in 2022. So we'll speak with them as well. Thank you for tuning in. Let's start off with the main event competitors of this weekend's card, Armand Sarukian, followed by Mateusz Gamrot. Then we've got the co-main event, Neil Magny and Shavkat Rachmanov, Don Davis, Aaron Jeffrey, and Mandel Nalo. Let's get going. Armand Sarukian is in the main event of this weekend's UFC Fight Night card against Mateusz Gamrot. Now, we're up here in Canada, and from what I understand, before you started getting into fighting, you were a big hockey player. You played hockey for 10 years or something along those lines. How did you get into hockey, and do you miss playing? Yes, I very miss playing hockey. I used to be a hockey player, and uh, when I was young, you know... I started very early to play hockey outside, you know, like uh, instead of uh, like summertime we play football, uh, like uh, wintertime we play hockey because I live very cold place, you know, and uh, uh, in our backyards we had a like, place for play hockey and, uh, you know, my old class majors, they were hockey player and when I was nine or ten years old yeah some nine years old i started play like like professional player you know i mean like yeah yeah uh, i was in first first uh, team in my city you know and yeah i i used uh, uh i was playing like about 10 years what position did you play i played uh, forward left forward I figured you'd be a defenseman, like an enforcer, but I guess you got into martial arts later. No, <laughs> no I, I, I was short, you know, because defense, they were like big guys. And I was fast, yeah. That's why. And uh, I, I like to shoot girls, you know. So eventually you went into mixed martial arts, and you became a master of sport in two different disciplines. Uh, at what age did you start moving over to combat sports from hockey? When I when I played hockey, uh, 
one day I played hockey, one day I I wrestled freestyle wrestling, you know. And uh, freestyle wrestling and hockey, it, it, uh, it, uh, they were my favorite sports, you know. And uh, three times a week I, I played hockey and three times a week I I wrestled. And that's why my wrestling is good and... Uh, my now I don't I don't play hockey because you know uh, I don't have a time. But wrestling I do wrestling like I have been doing since since when I was a kid. And do you still watch hockey in your spare time? Yes. Uh, last la, la, last one I was uh, uh, I watched gate nights or night night. Uh, I was called Las Vegas team. Oh, the yeah, Las Vegas Golden Knights. Golden Knights, yeah, yeah. I, I watched that that game, and uh, I like watch hockey, but not like I used to. But I used to be watching too much, but now not not really because I gotta watch UFC fights, you know. Yeah, I understand why you uh, watch less hockey. It, it makes a lot. <laughs> you're training most of the time. You're scouting your opponents. Uh, it makes a lot of sense that you're you're doing a lot more uh, mixed martial arts watching. Now you've yeah. only been in this. I guess you've been in the sport for for some time now. I know you come from a wealthy family. How does your family deal with you being a mixed martial artist? You you don't, you probably don't need to do it. You just love doing it so much. Yeah, I like martial arts. You know, uh, yeah. When I started to fight, uh, started to fight, you know, I, I, I didn't think so. I'm gonna make money or something else, you know, because my my father he has a lot of money and uh, I don't need the money, you know. I just I just fight for fun and that fun became like, you know, like professional fighter. So from watching your father's work ethic growing up, did that rub off on you? Did that make you work really hard? And, and that kind of comes through your family lineage? You know, my father, like, uh, told me every time, if you do something, you got to do, like, you, you got to give you your, uh, you got to give you, like, all, I mean, you got to you gotta do everything, like, 100%. If you started something to do, you got to do it in the end, you know, just not stop when you started, you know. That's why uh, when I grow up, my my father told me a lot of good things, and now in in my in UFC, you know, and I want to be the best. If you don't mind me asking, what did your father do when you were growing up? I mean, it worked. Yeah. Uh, he's builder until now. Yeah, he builds uh, houses. Like breaches, yeah. He he works on government. Wow, so that's uh, that's interesting line of work, and I'm sure that I'm yeah. sure you've watched him over the years work so hard at this that it it inspires yeah. you. My, my my goal to make money more than him. <laughs> do you think you'll be able money. to do it? <laughs> maybe probably uh, if I assign new contract, maybe probably it's gonna be like this, but I'm not sure yet. Well, every good parent wants their kid to be better than them, right? So I'm sure it'll make nothing yeah. would make him prouder to see you make more money than him. Yeah, I'm gonna be like very happy, you know. And uh, sometimes I like when they t- uh, before they told uh, like, oh, this kid like uh, Nairi uh, Nairi son, you know. But now they told, oh, 
like uh, this is Arman's father, you know, like now became different. Before they knew me, like I'm like father son, but now it's like, you know, they 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 know him because of me now. But before it was different. And you have a daughter. You know what I mean? of, yeah, yeah, no, I understand. Now, now they talk about. They look at him and he's your dad and not you're you're not his son anymore because you've you've made yeah. such a big deal in uh, in mixed martial arts. Yeah. And you have a daughter and you're I believe you have another daughter on the way. Um so congratulations yeah. on that. Uh, what are you hoping you. what are you hoping to see from your daughters when they grow up? Like what is there something that you that you know that you'd like to see them aspire to do? Um I would like to see her like a tennis player because I like tennis. And I think I think for girl is good sport, and definitely I wanna see my kids in the sport, all of them, you know. And uh, but I'm gonna give them uh, opportunity to choose whatever they want, you know. I'm not I'm 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 just gonna suggest uh, like say like this sport for you is gonna be good, you know, because of like tennis is. Not a lot of injured, injured like in gymnastic or like box or like wrestling. But if she choose like gonna be I don't know boxer or wrestler, I'm not gonna like say no. You shouldn't. Now you're 25 years old. Uh, again, you have two. Uh, you have a child on the way. You have a, a daughter. How important yeah. is that to have that to kind of ground you in your mid 20s? You know, a lot of people in their mid 20s go and they get a little bit wild, but you. Uh, have your family and and you have your discipline in terms of martial arts. How important is it to have that kind of a family life uh, in your life at this stage of your development as a martial artist? It's 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 good, you know. It's uh, when I became uh, became father, you know, I started things to make money to be like uh, like more professional in this sport, you know. And uh, you know, I know I like I have a lot of patience from them because. Uh, I gotta be smart and uh, don't uh, don't do some crazy things what I did before when I was young and uh, now I a little bit change it. I have I I've changed changed because now I'm father. That's why uh, it's good, you know. Uh, yeah, I, I'm happy. And your opponent, uh, Mateusz Gamrat, he's a, was a two-division champion in KSW. He's now won three in a row. You're on a five-fight win streak in your own right. Two very, very top-level lightweights in the cage together on Saturday night. What can you tell me about Mateusz, and what do you think he's going to do to try to defeat you? Uh, yeah, he's he's a good opponent. He's a tough guy, but he thinks he has a good, first, uh, good um, grappling. He thinks my grappling it's not so good like him, but definitely not. I'm my skills everywhere better and on striking, on wrestling, uh, on grappling, you know. And uh, I wanna show that this weekend I'm like different level fighter, and uh, you know we are completely different fighters. Um, if if uh, just I want to show this weekend. I, w- I don't want to talk a lot, but you're going to know like who how's my skills, you know, and uh, what's my level. And final question for you. You know, since you've joined the UFC, everybody's talked about Armand Sarukian, future champion, one of the top, you know, up-and-coming fighters in the world. Has it been hard for you to get high-level opponents to sign to fight you? 
because of all, all of the momentum you have in your career? Yeah, you know, I, I was waiting two months to get to get the opponent, you know, no, nobody wanted to fight with me, just Matos Gambert said, yes, I want to fight because, uh, you know, he's a tough opponent and uh, he doesn't choose uh, uh, fighters, uh, you know, and uh, I don't I don't choose a fighter too. Uh, because of that, we we will fight together. And uh, everybody scares of me. And uh, yeah, he just have a big heart, you know. And uh, he believes he can beat me, but it's gonna be big mistake for him. I find that the worst place to be when you're ranked is at the bottom of the top fifteen. Because if you're coming up at the bottom of the top 15, nobody wants to risk a higher ranking. But once you start moving up, if you get a win on Saturday, I think a lot more people are going to be interested in, in trying to test themselves against you. So best of luck on Saturday. Thank you for your time, and I look forward to speaking with you again soon. Thank you. After this fight, I'm going to run this division. He's in the main event of this weekend's UFC Fight Night card. He's Mateusz Gamrot taking on Armand Sarukian. Three wins in a row, all finishes in 2021. Are you looking to stay active this year after this main event? Of course, of, of course, of course. I am, I am super ready this, uh, this fight. And I can't wait to step in the octagon and show that I am a different animal than, than my opponent, Armand. He's a very young opponent who seems to get, be getting better with every fight. But I don't think he's fought anybody close to the level of talent that you bring, um, aside from maybe Islam in his first fight. Um, what do you think that you're going to show him with your veteran talent that he hasn't seen yet as a younger fighter? Of course, he's young, he's hungry, good, good, good striking, good wrestling. But I think he has jiu-jitsu, and then I see opportunity early. I want to trap him. Well, when you were his age, you were a young phenom as well. You were a two division champion in KSW, I believe, at age 27. Um, it took you a little while to come to the UFC. Why was now the best time for you to come uh, to the... Well, not now, but two years ago. Why was that the best time to, t- to sign with the UFC? I think now is my prime prime time. Not only physical, but also mentality. I am ready to go to hell, you know. Nobody won't fight with Arman. A lot of people scared him. But I am super ready for, for this guy. Wrestling is my DNA. Are you happy that, uh, well, I mean, yes, you're a gold medalist in, uh, in, I believe, freestyle wrestling, right? That You have a wrestling background that's very strong. Of course, of course. All, all my life I train in wrestling. It, it, wrestling is my, is my heart. And when you watch my fight, I'm, use, I'm using wrestling all the time. When you were fighting in KSW and Khabib was the champion, did you feel like you would have had the, a, a really good skill set against him had he still been the champion right now and decided to stay in the UFC? We have similar similar style, yeah, of course. But now I think I am more experienced guys than than him. I am used to pressure. I used to be the champion, and I I, I believe my stamina, and I think this is gonna be my adventure and key the the, the the fight. When you were in KSW, when you were looking at the UFC, was there anybody that you really wanted to face when you came over here? One more, please. When you were in KSW, you were a two-division champion. When you looked at the UFC, was there anybody that you really wanted to face and test yourself against when you were over there and you thought you'd sign with the UFC and face them one day? Yeah, for sure, for sure. When I was uh, double champion uh, double champion in KSW, I was undefeated. Uh, but 
KSW is the biggest in the Europe. Uh, UFC is the league championship, is the biggest in the world, like Olympic Games. And now this is my goal, get the belt. Do you still have featherweight in your back pocket if you wanted to go to featherweight? I know you went there in KSW, you won the championship, and then moved back to lightweight. Was that just to test yourself one time, or do you think you could move back to the featherweight division in the UFC if you wanted to? Uh, this was one time because I this time I was uh, I was champion lightweight division. I got great offer than the title shot featherweight, and I can say no, you know. But this was a long process when I when I cut weight like four months. I a little bit smaller my body. Uh, I can't go. I can't go to featherweight. But now lightweight division has many superstar. It's very stacked division and. First, I, I want to win the belt, win the gold this division, and maybe then I'm going to different weight. But first, focus one division step by step. What do you think a win over Armin would mean for you this weekend? How, how far up the ladder do you think it moves you? Uh, I, I don't want to like, finish this fight too early, you know. I, I'm used to fighting five rounds. This is my favorite distance. Uh, I like accelerate, accelerate last, last minute in the fight. And I think this is going to be a great show for five rounds. What are you enjoying about living in America, training at American Top Team? American Top Team is the best gym in the, in the world, you know. It's the best coaches, the best fighters. It's a lot bigger bigger gym. Uh, I love it um, in American Top Team with Dustin Poirier, Jorge Masvidal, Renato Moicano, Tego Moises, and many, many more superstars. When I when I, I am in American top team and uh, growing every single day, you know, and I know this is my place and this place when I get the belt. And the level of competition you're facing in training compared to when you were training in Poland, I imagine, is much higher. It, it'll help make you a better fighter. Is that the reason you came to American top team? Yeah, I like it. I like it. And the best mix for me is when I train American top team and I train my Red Dragon family gym from Poland. Because one gym is different style, another gym is same thing, different style. And when I get everything together, I think this is the best, the best mix and the best, yeah. I'm sure when you're driving in Florida, it's very different than driving in Poland. The people in Florida, they drive a little bit differently than other places in the world. Of course, of course. Uh, like many things is, is different like Florida and Poland. Uh, but it's nice, it's really nice. Well, Florida's not just different than Poland. It's different than everywhere in the whole world. I mean, there's no, there's no place like Florida. With the people there, when you watch the news in Florida, you see all kinds of crazy things. It's a very different place than uh, anywhere else really in the world. Uh, yes, maybe yes, but I don't know what I, said, what I can say. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's okay. Maybe I said it all for you. Now, uh, you told me before we started, I told you I had some ancestry in Poland. You, I've never been. If I were to go to Poland, what would I experience there? What are some things that uh, would make it a great trip? Uh, Poland is a beautiful country. It's a lot different like USA, like I told you. Like building, street, people, mentality, food. Uh, everything is a lot different. And if you have time or somebody won't come to my country, I invite. Well, where, where in Poland should I go? Warsaw? Lodz? Uh, I, I live in Poznań. This is big city, like three hours far to, to Warsaw. Oh, so that's where you're from. But where, where, where would I go to? If I was going to travel there, where, where, what's the best city in you Poland? It's many places, beautiful, like, uh, like sea, mountains, big city, Warsaw, in Musea, like uh, whatever you want, what do you need? 
if you go to, if you want go to like big mountains you go to zakopane big big tatry mountains you know if you go to sea beach like relax go to trumiasto gdansk city you know I would ask you about Polish food, but I don't want to. I mean, you're cutting weight. I don't want to have to. You thinking about dumplings and things like that while you're cutting weight. So we'll we'll move on to another subject. Um, of course, with this main event, um, how close do you think you'd be to a championship if if you get a win over Armin? He's uh, only has one loss in his career, like yourself. And these are two. You guys are two of the most skilled guys at lightweight that people don't really know about just yet. Yeah, for sure. We are we are young guys, but I think we are a new generation in. Uh, in MMA, I don't want uh, understand understaminate opponent, you know, because I am super ready this uh, this fight. This is honor for me fighting to first round, the uh, first uh, time in my event. It's big, big things, you know, big show, and I am very excited, really. And last question for you: one of the pioneers of uh, Polish mixed martial arts. And a teammate of yours at American Top Team, Joanna Janjacek, decided to retire after her last fight. What does she mean to Poland as a country, to you as an athlete, and to American Top Team as a gym? How many how many fighters trained from Poland to American Top Team? Yes. Well, no, I'm wondering what Joanna means to Polish athletes and and to the gym and um, and to MMA as a whole. What 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 do you take away from from her career? Yeah, I am so glad that. Uh, Joanna go to retires, you know. I think she deserves the now new chapter in in the life. You know, she she was superstar UFC many years. She was five times world championship, yeah. And so now she she real woman. She, she show business woman, and she deserves for everything. What is the beautiful life? We need to get a statue of her in, in Poland. Do you agree? Yes, agree. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you, Mateusz. Really appreciate it. Nice to meet you. And uh, best of luck in your main event against Armand Sarukian this weekend. Thank you so much. Appreciate. And I am here to challenge the best. If you're looking for somebody to face a tough opponent, who are you going to call? Not Ghostbusters, but Neil Magny taking on Shavkat Rachmanov in the co-main event of this weekend's UFC Fight Night card. Now, this is a guy that, it seems, has been striking fear into the eyes of a lot of different welterweights, but not you. You are happy to face the Hamzat Shemaev, the Shavkat Rachmanovs of the world. Why are you eager to jump at these opportunities? Um, this is what I jumped into sports 16 years ago to do. I, I went out, I wanted to go out there and face some of the best guys in the world, uh, regardless of records, regardless of background, regardless of fighting styles. Uh, I want to go out there and prove I was one of the best guys in the world by fighting the best guys in the world. So um, if you have a guy who you claim is um, untouchable or no one wants to fight or uh, where else may be, um, that sounds like a part of me, and I'm thinking sign me up. I heard an interview you did with Damon Martin. You talked about how kind of being a veteran that's willing to accept fights with younger fighters, that you kind of have that as a badge of honor. Like, that's something that, that appeals to you. Can you explain why? Yeah, 100%. I mean, um, throughout the years of the sport, you always see the comparisons. What what would happen if so-and-so fought so-and-so in his prime or this or that? Um, I feel like right now I am in my prime and I have been for quite some time. Um, so seeing these opportunities to fight some of these upcoming guys when I'm in my prime, um, I want to take full advantage of that right now and prove who's the best. Um, as opposed to waiting five, six years, however long it may be, um, where that time may have passed you by and feel like um, you're playing catch-up at that point. Um, I know I'm one of the best welterweights out here, out there. I've been at the top division for a very long time. Um, and me have to prove it by facing the up-and-coming guys. Um, so be it. I'll do it. Do you think that a lot of people don't recognize what actually comes with a win over someone like a Shavkat Rachmanov? That, that because they see a lower ranking number, 
they worry that, you know, well, I'm, I'm going to be risking my ranking against a lower-ranked guy. But when someone has this kind of hype, they're undefeated. They're getting all these finishes. A win over somebody like that speaks a lot more volume than beating kind of a, somebody that's been hanging around the rankings for a long time. Do you agree? Um, yeah, I mean, I kind of, uh, like, are the rankings important? Yes, in the sense that, like, uh, you want to get ranked, I'm sorry, you want to get ranked higher in the top 10, higher in the top 5, eventually to title shot. Um, they're important in that sense. But um, when you have guys who are, quote, unquote, protecting their, their rankings and only refusing to um, accept fights with people who are ranked ahead of them, where else may be, um, is it really the best guy up there? Um, there's no doubt in my mind I can beat um, anyone in the top 5 given the opportunity to do so. Um, but with that being said, do I wait eight months, 10 months, 12 months uh, for one of those guys to set, set the fight against me? Uh, or do I go out there and create my opportunity, create my moment by fighting these young, um, tough guys like Shemaev or, or uh, Havja, sorry, Shavkat that no one else is willing to fight? And in my opinion, um, my MO is to go out there and fight these tough guys and um, get rewarded for doing so. So what do you think of him? I mean, you are the biggest underdog that, in terms of the, the betting odds of anybody against him, but he hasn't fought anybody close to your caliber. When you see how he's performed against some of the kind of the lower level opponents in the, in the division, do you think that he's kind of ripe for the taking at this point in time, that people are kind of giving him too much credit, or do you think that he deserves the credit? Um, things he deserves it. I mean, uh, at some point or another, we're all undefeated in our career. Um, at this point in his career, he's undefeated, so of course he's going to get the um, the hype, the notoriety, the um, the mystique around him because like no one has been able to figure out that puzzle thus far. Um, but here he is facing a seasoned veteran like myself, um, and that's where that difference maker t- uh, comes into play. Um, he hasn't fought a point like me before with the uh, um, skill that I possess, the um, level of confidence that I have, the um, the expertise that I have in there. Like it's just a whole new puzzle that he hasn't been faced with before. Um, and I think that's gonna be a huge difference maker going into this fight. I also think that size is going to be something that is an advantage to you. I don't think he'll be bigger than him, but he's been towering over a lot of these guys at welterweight, and you're one of the bigger guys in the division. So I think that that's going to be a unique challenge for him as well. Yeah, I mean, across the board, like going into this fight is all going to be um, uncharted territory, so to speak, for him. Like, um, I've been here a thousand times before. I fought the best guys in UFC for the last 10 years. Um, this is nothing new to me. Um, I, so even though he's the undefeated fighter, he's the favorite, he's all these other things, um, I feel like I'm most comfortable going into this fight because of um, the experience that I have and me being here before um, and that kind of thing. And it's literally up to me to go out there um, and show him why um, I, I'm so confident showing that they truly are different loves to the sport. Yeah, it seems like none of this has ever phased you, any of these situations. Like, there's never been a time where I'm like, ah, it feels like, you know what, the only time where it was weird was when you had that kind of bogus USADA thing that happened that kind of sidelined you for a while, and that's when everybody was calling out Neil Magny. It was like when you couldn't fight, everybody was like, oh, I, gotta, I want to fight Neil Magny next. I, I don't know if they were just waiting for you to, to, to be, be able to return to action, but it seems like whenever you're active, People aren't calling your name, and then when they, they see that you can't respond, that's when they start calling your name. Yeah, man, it's been a frustrating thing over the last couple of years. I mean, you see these guys who, um, when they're trying to break into the top 10, top uh, 15, top whatever, um, I'm the first person that they want to call out. And then, like, um, they kind of escape, so to speak, and get a matchup against someone else, um, and get ranked either slightly above me or below me. And it's like, ah, oh, you know what, maybe I'll skip the new magnify and go chase uh, somebody else who... Um, maybe an easier matchup for me, a better matchup for me stylistically. Um, but at the end of the day, I'm, I'm here to fight. I've been here to fight for, for 10 years now, and uh, I'm not going anywhere. So um, for me, it's to go out there and like really make the next guy head skate on calling me out. I mentioned that situation that kind of sidelined you. Before then, you were super active. You were fighting multiple times a year. You came back, same, same thing. You were, you were very, very active. But during that time off, do you feel like that really helped 
the longevity of your career because it, it kind of gave you that hunger because you were unable to get in there when you, when you likely wanted to and you were able to spend time with your new son, Liam. How, how much did that help you in terms of your career development, in your opinion? Um, it definitely helped me in the sense that, like, it, it allowed me to or forced me to um, not take these opportunities for granted. Like, as much as I, like I said earlier, I must say I wanted to fight the top five guys to um, fight for a title and cement my name as being a champion in the UFC. As much as I want to do all those things, I'm not sure when that opportunity is going to be given to me or when I'm going to get the opportunity to do so. Um, so in the meantime, I don't want to um, take an opportunity for granted or pass for opportunity because I feel like I have um more time down the road or more availability down the road um during those 18 months on our sideline um did i appreciate the time off that appreciate the time with my kids absolutely but uh there's nothing more i wanted to do than go out there and fight and do what i love for uh for a living how much do you strategize for your opponents because it seems like when you're in there you're really kind of going with the flow and reacting to what people are throwing at you uh, is, is that accurate is that you kind of want your opponent to train more for you than you for them um, for a while, that used to be my mindset. I always used to go in there like, all right, cool. I, I'm a seasoned veteran. I know what I'm going to do and go out there and get it done. Um, but one of the things that really started to open my eyes was like, especially the Max Griffin fight, um, him and his camp did a lot of good homework leading up to that fight. Um, they did a lot of film study. They did a lot of breaking down techniques and things like that, where um, they were able to pick apart things that I did well and try to avoid certain scenarios and certain positions where um, the fight may have favored me. Um, and it made me struggle a bit in that fight. So um, going to, having learned that from the last fight, uh, I put a little bit more emphasis on the um, uh, game planning and film study and that kind of thing um, in my fights moving forward now. Yeah, you mentioned that was your last fight, so it took you a while to, to pick up on that. How did you learn that that's what they had done, that they had really dissected your game going into that fight? Um, the, the hard part is that like, it's, easy, it's, it's real difficult to... Uh, um, tell yourself you need to change if you're successful. It's like, yeah, he did a good job breaking it down, but why change it? It's still one. Um, but like getting to the point now where um, it's a game of inches and I can't, I don't have that, that large gap to make up for the um, the slack. I, can, I can't afford um, to give up five, six minutes of a fight for me to figure out my opponent. I need to go in there and dominate um, from beginning to end and not give anything up for, for chance or luck or anything else like that. Um, I need to go in there um, as prepared as possible to make it um, as dominant a fight as I could. And how did you find out that that's what Max had done in, in preparation for you? Did, did he mention that in interviews or something along those lines? No, I mean, you can see it within the fight. You can see um, him avoiding to go into situations, certain positions, and that kind of thing. Um, there was one situation in the fight where he literally had knocked me down to the um, canvas, and like 90% of guys were like, oh, I'm going to finish the fight here. Um, but in his mind, in his training, um, there was like, no, 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 that's not where we want to be. We'd rather be on the outside fighting him a particular way um, and not engage in the clinch and things like that with him. So um, once that happened in the fight and I seen the reaction, I realized that like, oh, OK, I see what game plan he's trying to implement here. Um, I'm going to shut this down. But um, with guys like Shavkat and the guys in the top five, um, I can't take that kind of risk and I can't take that kind of uh, um, chance where I'm just like, oh, let me let me see if I have time to figure out what he's going to do. Um, I need to really spend some time um, game planning and approaching the fights with like um, options A, B, C, and D, and if anything else fails, E, M, G as well, um, in order to be successful in the fight. Um, so that was the approach that I went with in this fight. It's funny because you figured out on the fly that that's that he had, he knew what he was going to be doing in terms of his adjustment. And that's what taught you to make a job. So you're still learning on the fly, but now you're learning on the fly For to sure. prepare in advance. It's kind of an interesting uh, dynamic there. 
Yeah, yeah, it's happening before into the cage as opposed to being in there looking back like, hey, coach, it's not working. What do I do? Um, I can kind of uh, put the game plan and uh, and plan together uh, before I get there uh, and start executing at that point. Well, you do have a great coaching staff uh, over at Team Elevation, and we look forward to watching more success from you in the cage. A big matchup. Co-main event yourself, Shavkat Rachmanov. That's this Saturday. Always appreciate your time, Neil, and best of luck. Uh, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Pleasure talking to you. I'm pleased to be joined now by Shavkat Rachmanov. He's in the co-main event against Neil Magny. He's joined by his manager, uh, Syed Abrachmanov. Appreciate your time. And Neil Magny's your opponent, a very tough-ranked opponent, and he's in the top 10. Was it hard for you to find an opponent ranked above you that was willing to face you, given all of the success you've had so far? Yeah, I think it's a good opponent. You know, I'm really glad he accepted the fight, and I'm ready for this test. Tell me a little bit about your upbringing and uh, what it was like as a child for you growing up in Uzbekistan and in Kazakhstan. Uh, what was your life like as a child and, and how did you get into martial arts? Yes, since I was a kid, I loved fighting. And uh, when I saw the first UFC events, first uh, like fights, uh, I just knew that it's just something that I want to do when I grow up. And I got involved with uh, different martial arts. And now I can say that I realized my dream. I'm one of them. I'm, I'm the fighter, and uh, yeah, I, I grew up in. I was born and grew, uh, grew up in Uzbekistan, and I still have a lot of friends and family out there too. But now, yeah, I live and represent the Kazakhstan country. And since you've signed with the UFC, there's been some more fighters uh, from Kazakhstan as well that have come to the UFC. Demir Magulov and uh, Sergey Morozov on this card as well. Uh, what's it like to have more fighters from Kazakhstan join the UFC after you? Yeah, you know, fans love UFC in Kazakhstan. And, uh, you know, I worked all my life to get into UFC, trained hard, and now I'm here. I did forget one person, Maria Agapova, who's a female mixed martial artist from Kazakhstan. And there's also Sora Rachmanova, your sister. Is she going to be in the UFC one day? Yeah, maybe one day. Like, maybe next year we're certainly going to try to get into the UFC. We'll see if everything will be good. She'll be there. Well, Syed, you've got to make some calls. Let's get her in. Yeah, we're going to work on it. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, uh, it's a pleasure having you here. Now, Neil Magny is uh, one of the taller opponents you face. You, one of your big advantages at welterweight is your size. And he's a very big fighter as well for the division. Do you think that that's going to be an advantage for you to face somebody tall like yourself? Or is this going to be a new challenge for you? Yeah, uh, height and length doesn't bother me. You know, I, I'm well prepared for that. All right, Shavkat, well, it's a pleasure to meet you. Uh, thank you for doing this, and uh, best of luck on, uh, on Saturday. Mm -hmm. Thank you. So, The man to my left is the chairman and founder of the Professional Fight League, Don Davis, and I'm very happy to have you here with me, Don. The PFL is, of course, airing on TSN each and every week during your season when you guys have events scheduled, of course, and you guys are in Georgia right now as the tournament rolls on, and uh, very exciting time right now for the PFL you guys have all of your best talent that's, uh, that's coming up uh, after this past weekend. Of course, Clay Calder in the main event. Yep. Very tough, uh, tough decision going the other way yep. for him. And unfortunately, we're not going to get to see him in the playoffs. Hopefully, another matchup for him scheduled later in the season. Yeah, well, look, this Friday, the 24th, next Friday, July 1st, are the last two events of the PFL regular season. They're my favorite events because it's win or go home. It's almost like every fight's a Game 7. We all love a Game 7. Every single fight on the card is a Game 7. As to Clay Collard, you know, in the PFL, we have something called the computerized scoring, 
where yes, the judges score, but we also have a shadow score, artificial intelligence scoring. Clay Collard won that fight. He won two of those three rounds clearly. So we're always trying to create more transparency, more meritocracy in the PFL. So hopefully we see Clay back, maybe on a showcase fight this year, but certainly in the 2023 season. And just to be clear, for those that aren't in the know, the commission hires the judges. You guys are at the behest of the Georgia Athletic Commission. Absolutely. You know, all states control the fight, whether it's the referee, the doctors, or the judges. Um, we wish the judges would have seen it differently because the computers certainly saw it differently. Well, absolutely. And some big fights coming up. Kayla Harrison on Canada Day taking on Julia Budd. That should be, might be the biggest fight in terms of name value that the PFL's had uh, in this women's division. Well, look, Julia Budd has only lost to three people. All of them are UFC champs. This will be Kayla's toughest test. Kayla 13-0. Other than probably Chris Cyborg and Amanda Nunes, Kayla's one of the three best fighters in the world. We'll see how she handles that. But this Friday, the 24th, you've got redemption stories. Will Pettis, mm -hmm. the Showtime himself, continue his comeback? Right last year he came in, he thought he was going to walk away with a million dollars. He's a past UFC champ. He thought this PFL, this must be a cakewalk. Uh-uh. He got smoked last year, went 0-2. But he's on a redemption tour this year, and he looks really, really good. But you've also got the heavyweights. And we've got La Problemo, mm -hmm. six foot eight, and he does a backflip off one foot. <laughs> he is running through this division, but he comes up against Bruno Capaluza, the defending champ. So I think this is not Miss TV, the heavyweights and Showtime Pettis, the 24th. So Pettis has six points. Is he in already, or he needs, he needs a win? He needs a win. He doesn't need a finish. Um, but also, in this format, seeding matters. He'd like to be the number one seed of those playoffs. Remember, four fighters make the playoffs in each weight class. So the number one seed will face the number four seed. He'd like to have an easier fight that first round of the playoffs. Well, I've got to say, for, as a Canadian, I'm excited because in the final four of the lightweight division, only three spots, but two of them are occupied by Canadians. We've got the Peruvian Canadian who won this past week, Alex Martinez and Olivier Aubin-Mercier. So Canada should have a vested interest in the lightweight division. Well, and look, OAM beat Mafino, and no one's beat Mafino in three years. Now, what's great about him, Mafino, he was a 1,000-to-1 long shot to win the championship last year. This doesn't happen in the UFC. The UFC, everything is so curated so taken care of that you have to spend years and years to get your shot. In the PFL, remember, it's a sports season format. Regular season, playoff, and championship. Win in advance, lose, and go home. He was the final fighter that we got in last year. So he was number 12, 1,000, but he won four times. If you win four times, you're called champion. So it's no politics, no social media, no favorites, just the best. And Mafino proved to be the best, but OAM beat him. So they might be coming head-to-head -head in the playoffs again this year. Yeah, had Housh Manfield won that fight, would have been six in a row as an underdog, which you just never see that in mixed martial arts. You never see it. You never see it. But once again, the PFL is like the NBA or the NFL, which is meritocracy. Doesn't matter how many followers. Doesn't matter how much I like you. Doesn't matter what you look like, what you speak like. It matters what you do inside the PFL smart cage. Now, I want to get some background on you, Don, because you were, I believe, at the time, the youngest legal counsel for a Major League Baseball team. You worked at AOL and started their internet division at AOL, which yeah. I don't know how they didn't have that to begin with. But, <laughs> hey, uh, you, you were the brains of the operation on that one. And now you've decided to get into mixed martial arts. So what was the driving factor for you to get into this venture? It's very kind of you to date me with those two compliments. <laughs> yes. Um, I started the PFL the day that UFC was sold. 
I saw three things that day, which are the basis of which we built PFL into the number two MMA company in the world. There's 600 million MMA fans around the world. That's the third biggest fan base, only trailing soccer and basketball. But number two, UFC, while it's a great company, only has 30 fight events a year. There's 6,000 basketball games. There's 3,200 soccer matches, but only 30 events from UFC for those 600 million fans. Wow, underserved, under-monetized fan base. And last, it wasn't even a sport yet. Great entertainment product, but Dana White's just Don King for MMA. He decides who fights. He decides if you're number one and I'm number two seed and we're gonna fight. Sport is win in advance, losing a home. In the PFL, we start with 72 fighters, 12 in each weight class, you win four times, you're the champ. You lose, we'll see you in 2023. So I said, that's, that's what the NBA is. That's what the NFL is. Let's bring that sports season format. I think it was March Madness meets MMA. So that's what we've done. And now by every single metric, PFL's number two in the world. Percentage of our fighters ranked in the top 25, our global distribution, our audience viewing per event, all of those have set records this year. Well, let me challenge you on that for one second. You guys start off with a pool of fighters for the tournament. How is the first tournament matchup made? Is it made by a matchmaker? Is it done at random? Because matches do have to get made without a bracket format to start things off initially. Yeah, I absolutely. Look, your regular season fights are done by matchup. Ray Seppo, probably one of the best recruiters and identifier talent. He's our head of fighter operations. He does those matchups. But whether you win and your points that you accrue get you into those playoffs, and then it's single elimination for the rest of the year. So we try to have the really tough matchups. We don't let anybody, you know, walk their way through the park. So our best fighters tend to fight our best fighters, which is why you see a lot of unknown Cinderella stories get into the playoffs. As you saw last week, man, I want Clay Collard in those playoffs. We didn't baby him. He had two very tough fights, and he didn't make it this year. So we do not baby anyone in here, and those matchups are really interesting and really fair. And speaking of baby, his wife was expecting a baby the day that he fought. I don't know what, did they end up having it? Exactly. Uh, you know, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> well, I, I guess we'll find out on yeah. social media if you check yeah. out Clay Collard's exactly. Instagram account. Exactly. So going down the line, uh, one thing people will say is that Kayla Harrison hasn't had a lot of tough matchups. But the problem is, you look at the pool of this women's 155 yeah. division globally, and the talent just isn't quite there with her just yet. Now, you guys have built Larissa Pacheco, I think, is the next best thing. Unfortunately, you missed weight last year and was bounced from the tournament uh, in, in yeah. the, I believe, the finals or semifinals. So what are you going to do in order to be able to build Kayla Harrison up by giving her the kind of competition that I think people want to see her against? Look, it's a great observation, and I want to make two separate points. At her weight class, 155 pounds, PFL has the best fighters in the world. We've looked at every country under every rock. <laughs> If they're a great fighter, they can either flex up from 145 or flex down to 155. We've got them. So she has been challenged by the best in the world. So when some writers or, obs or observers say Kayla hasn't been challenged, she can only fight who she can fight. And they're the best in the world at PFL. They ain't at UFC and they ain't at Bellator in her weight class. Second thing is, can we challenge other fighters in different weight classes who may be that good to take on Kayla. There's only two, Amanda Nunes and Chris Cyborg. So if you said, should she go to another promotion, UFC or Bellator, there's only two fighters in the world in her class. And she said, I'll fight either one of them on any planet, on any terms. And PFL said, we support that. We'll make that happen. So we've had an open challenge, whether it's to Amanda or to Chris Cyborg, that whether it's pay-per-view, whether it's TV, 
whether it's your promotion, whether it's our promotion, whether it's Pluto, whether it's Earth, we'll do that. So those are the two separate things. I think Kayla's gone out of her way to sit there and say, all this social media, you guys don't know what you're talking about. I fought everybody in my weight class, and as outside of my weight class, there's only two good enough for me, and I'm here. The barrier is them. Yeah, and the barrier is also contracts, right? I mean, this happens sometimes in MMA, mostly in boxing. But, of course, if one's under contract to the UFC, one is under contract yeah. to Bellator for, for a little bit more time in uh, Chris Cyborg, yeah. those are probably the biggest barriers of entry because we know the UFC aren't interested in co-promoting with other uh, organizations. And we've also seen Bellator with a hesitation to do so. They've been a little bit more flexible than the UFC. But looking at Chris Cyborg, how big of a priority is that, knowing that it's been publicized that her contract is running out? Yeah, look, from the, from the PFL standpoint, and even from my standpoint, I've always found if you go consumer first or fan first, there's more money for everybody. I remember when Dana White said, I'll never do that McGregor-Mayweather fight. Biggest pay-per-view ever, right? Because mm -hmm. you put consumer and fan first, what they want to see. So we don't approach this with the same old dogma. We're new to this sport. You know, we're MMA 2.0, and we're also doing business 2.0 with a fan first. So will we sign every fighter that's a free agent? Check, absolutely. But will we also do things differently with the consumer and the fight fan at the center? And will we cross-promote or do anything differently with them at the center? Sure. And do we encourage other people to do that? We think there's money to be made. And you guys are launching a pay-per-view division that's not only going to be fan-forward, but also fighter-forward. You've talked about a revenue sharing right. with the yeah. headlining athletes for this pay-per-view division. How is that division coming along? When's it going to launch? And what's going to be... I guess the, the mantra in terms of signing talent from other promotions that are big enough to be on pay-per-views, not to mention what's the cost going to be like. You know, a lot of fans are already shelling out whatever it is, $70 a month to watch UFC pay-per-views. What's going to be the cost to the consumer to buy a PFL pay-per-view if that's been determined as of yet? Great question. So one, in terms of fan first, we said the pay-per-views will be $50. So we're not going to have them $75 or higher like they are now. But in terms of fighter first, here's where we're changing the business in an important and positive way for fighters. Currently, if you're a fighter, you only get about 10% of the profits from your fight, maybe 15%. We've said we'll give you 50-50 share, 50% of the fight's profits if you're those headline fighters. So you're a true economic partner. So if you're an MMA star, pay-per-view fighter, people pay $50 to watch you, it's the best day in history because PFL is now open for business. PFL is now in the pay-per-view business. Our first five years of our company were only on media. We're on ESPN and ESPN Plus around the world. Now, if you're a top three, if you're a big draw in pay-per-view, you got two choices. I could stay at the UFC. I'm happy. Or if I'm not happy, I could go to the PFL new pay-per-view division and I can get 50% of the profits of my fights. And what's the distribution model going to be like for pay-per-views? Remember, all distribution is the same. It's all third-party distribution, whether it's ESPN+, Plus, whether it's Fight TV, whether it's DirecTV, whether it's cable companies. That's all third-party. And the rest of the expertise is all resident in the company. Remember, we broadcast to 160 countries, same as UFC. We put on the top produced shows, same as UFC. So we took five years to build the expertise necessary inside of our own company to be able to take this next step. Do you think the time is really your biggest asset in terms of building the PFL because now that people are seeing that checks for a million dollars are clearing, <laughs> the fighters are getting a million dollars if they win the tournament on top of their base pay. I believe it's on top of their base pay. It is. So they're getting that in addition to their base pay. Now you've got this pay-per-view model. 
if people are watching from a distance and saying, I can make a million dollars a year on top of what I'm already going to be making, this is a, you know, a viable promotion for me to be signing with. Do you think that that is what your biggest asset is, is that people are seeing this working on a year-to-year -year basis? Tom is our friend in two ways. One, if you're a fighter looking to come here, we've had 18 millionaires in the last three years. Right, six weight classes, you win a million, three years. There haven't been 18 millionaires who are not on pay-per-view in the UFC in the last three years. Hadn't happened. Talk to those fighters. Can you beat those people? Well, why aren't you here? <laughs> right? Right, yeah. Now, as a business, media rights, as we all have seen, whether it's MLS or whether it's the NFL, media rights are exploding because the most valuable content in the world is live sports. MMA is a business, whether it's UFC, PFL, or Bellator, gets less than 1%, 1% of the media rights right now globally. But as I said earlier, 600 million fan base, number three in all sports. And it's the youngest demo, age 36, and the fastest growing sport. So the second thing that's working in our favor of time as a business, more money is coming into MMA. More is coming to PFL, more is coming to UFC globally from media rights. So I think it's a great day for fighters, because if you want to make a million, two, three million dollars, PFL is open for business, and it's a great day for the businesses, because more money is coming to MMA each and every year from the media rights globally. And a lot of it is venture capitalist money as well, right? But that's at-risk capital, right? At-risk capital build the business. Now look, UFC is already profitable. We're still growing our business. You know, they're 30 years old. We're five years old. Um, but that's the risk that keeps me going, you know, as an entrepreneur and as a venture capitalist, you know, I'm driven to build something impactful and something great. But as my dad said, if it was easy, everybody would do it, you know, and he's a 92-year-old wise man, yes. Well, before we wrap, you're here in Toronto for the Collision Conference, um, which is a, a massive tech conference. And technology has been one of the real um, assets that the PFL has mm -hmm. and that you've done differently from a lot of other people. You're measuring the speed of strikes and yeah. have a, a ticker at the bottom that has live odds going on all the time. What are some of these technical, uh, technological innovations and how is that going to continue to grow in the PFL? Yeah, look, I'm, I've been in technology for 30 years and I just think of it as how does this make this more interesting or more accessible for the viewer? Right, that's what it's all about. Like technology, none of us want to see technology. So for example, in the PFL, we have strike speed, we have kick speed. That's just like seeing the pitch in baseball. I, I, I couldn't remember what it was like in baseball before I could see the pitch speed. You know, it would really bother me. That's like seeing the yellow line or first down in football. So to me, a lot of the data we put on the screen, if you're new to MMA, you can now really appreciate how great these athletes are as well as what's going on in the fight. The second thing we've done is we've had computerized scoring after each round. What's the first thing you always do when you're watching with your friends? Hey, who won that round? No, this guy won that round. Well, we now put that up on the screen. One, how are the global fans voting after each round? And two, what does our computer say who won that round? Well, if I'm once again new to MMA, super interesting. Now, if I'm a diehard, a great thing to debate. So we don't really view it as technology. We view it as fan innovation, viewer innovation. And we'll keep doing more each and every year. And some of the favorites that are simple, knockout cam. We put a little camera on the referee where you still see the knockout up close. We did that in 2019, and nobody's even copied it yet. So each and every year, we had two or three innovations to just try to make the sport 
more interesting and also more accessible if you're new and maybe you're just a stick and ball fan. And the referees get to wear those cool glasses as well as an added <laughs> bonus. I don't know if they're that cool, right? They're not as cool as our glasses, right? Yeah, exactly. Well, we've got the PFL on TSN. The next two weeks are the final two weeks of the semifinals. And we're going to be approaching the finals, which are going global for the first time, heading to London, England. Uh, Don, thank you for this. Really appreciate your time and look forward to speaking with you again soon. Great to be here. Thanks for having me. He's one of the top Canadian mixed martial artists right now. Aaron Jeffrey makes his Bellator debut this Saturday at the Mohegan Sun, and you're, you're road tripping. You haven't been getting on airplanes. You're driving everywhere. In fact, you drove all the way to Sanford MMA to train for this uh, particular camp. That's right. I drive everywhere. I've driven to Vegas. I've driven to California. Now I've driven to Florida a couple times, and next week I'm driving to Connecticut. How far is the drive to Vegas? That one I don't, I've driven to Florida before, but never Vegas. Vegas is far. I think that's the furthest I've done. It's like 36 hours. So how many days do you do that in? Um, it depends. I think on the way down last time we did it in four days. On the way home before, I've done it in two. I drove home from Colorado to Tilsonburg in one day. It was like 24 hours straight on the road. So you don't stop anywhere? You just go all the way through? I usually stop. I don't know for whatever reason that time I didn't feel like stopping and I made it the whole way home. It was pretty brutal. I know you have a good background in nutrition and kinesiology, but maybe logistics will be in the future for you after your MMA career. Yeah, it's probably not a bad idea. <laughs> <laughs> Is that something you would want to do? Not logistics, of course, but like being a nutritionist and uh, helping fighters in the future. Is that something that you consider doing in your, I guess, post-fight career? I'm, I mean, I'm not, tr not trying to look too far down the road, but is that something you, that you're interested in doing? Yeah, for sure. Uh, not even just fighters. Like, I, I like working with fighters and athletes, but uh, anyone. Like, most of my clients that I work with now are kind of like regular Joes who, who go to the gym and want to, like, lose a couple pounds or whatever. So uh, I, I enjoy helping anyone with that stuff. What's the ideal breakfast? Like, if, if I was going to have a meal that would get me some good energy to start the day, well, what do you think that is? Um, probably depends on a lot of things. Um, I like eggs. Uh, I tell people to try and get some fruits and veggies in the morning. People think it's weird to eat veggies in the morning, but, like, even a couple tomato slices or something with some, some eggs and, like, a whole grain toast or something. I think that's a decent breakfast. Cool. I have, do you know who Lou uh, Giordano is? He was a, a nutritionist for some, uh, yeah, some yeah, UFC yeah. fighters. He told yes, me to I have, like, uh, all kinds of, I guess it was, like, chia seeds and uh, different, like, nuts and, like, yogurt together as a, a good way to start the morning. Yeah, that's good. I, I think some people tend to overcomplicate things when you're getting into, like, chia seeds and flax seeds and a million ingredients into, like, some kind of yogurt parfait. It's, uh, it's complicated, but it works. So is less ingredients better generally? I mean, if you're just going to be making meals, it's like you got your meat, you got your vegetables, you got your fruit, you know, things that don't have a hundred ingredients in them. Yes, yeah, I would say so, usually anyways. All right, well, why don't we, why don't we relay uh, back to, uh, to, to a fighting? <laughs> I, I know that's probably what you're here to, to discuss, of course. Um, your opponent, Fabio Aguilar, before we, uh, Aguilar, rather, before we started, we were kind of joking about how his uh, topology page, he looks like a, like a movie villain. I mean, have you, have you yeah. seen this guy? Um, I, I guess you've probably seen his Bellator fights, but what kind of a fighter is he? What, what should we expect in your Bellator debut? He's uh, he's tough. He's kind of a grinder. I think he kind of fights a little bit similar to me, actually. He's uh, he aggress he's aggressive. He pushes forward. Uh, he he pushes guys on the fence and kind of like wears them down. Like wrestles hard. Um, he's gritty. I mentioned for this camp, you went over to Sanford MMA, and Jasmine, who's fighting. I guess I'm I'm going to break down the fourth wall, but we we pre-taped this interview on Friday, so she's fighting tomorrow night. Uh, she went to ATT. 
So why, why not both go to the same place since you guys are used to training together in Niagara? Well, I knew a couple guys down in Sanford, Marc-Andre Berrio, one of them, uh, UFC middleweight. Um, so I went down there and, and met up with him and made some good friends and connections. Uh, so that kind of became my gym to go to. Um, but they actually don't have any women there. They have like one girl who trains, PFL fighter. I don't know her name. I think she's Russian, fights at like 145, but she's the only female that they have there. Uh, so, so Jazz didn't really have the option to come to Sanford. That's surprising. He's such a big gym with so many resources, so many coaches. Uh, it's surprising that they don't have that many female fighters there. Yeah, yeah, I don't know why. But ATT's got, of course, like a lot of them and a lot of the biggest names. Uh, you know, of course, you got Kayla Harrison. Uh, Amanda Nunez used to train there. I think Nina Nunez still trains there. So Jasmine's probably getting some great work at ATT. But why did, and I guess you decided to go to Sanford because you had some connections there. Yeah, so I knew, uh, like I said, Marc-Andre Berrio and then Julian LeBlanc, who's another uh, middleweight who, who trains and fights here in Canada. Um, and I went down after my last fight. I actually, I was just going to go down for, for a vacation down to Florida. Um, it was like January, February, and it was obviously cold and shitty here in Canada. So I thought I'll just go down there and like chill for a week. Um, and then I thought I might as well check out the gym while I'm here. And I went uh, for the first couple of days, and I loved it, and I ended up staying for a month. And where, where did you stay? Near Sanford? Yeah, I was like 20 minutes away. So uh, one of the guys that I trained with, he's a wrestler on the Brock University team. He's like a really high-level wrestler. Um, and his dad was an Olympian, actually, Richard uh, Deschatelet. Um, and he has, a, he has a little condo down there, and he was letting me stay there. Oh, wow, that's great. Well, that works out very well. So are you looking to go back there in the, in the future for more camps? Yeah, for sure. I like it a lot. And the Niagara top team continues to grow. It looks like in terms of gyms in southern Ontario, you've become the premier gym where a lot of people are going to train. Uh, what's been the secret of success for Niagara Top Team? Because you're not seeing a whole lot of fighters coming out of Ontario to the different major fight promotions right now. Yeah, I, I don't think there's really any secrets, man. Uh, like I've been to a lot of high-level gyms with a lot of UFC fighters, Bellator fighters, like all, all the, the highest-level guys. Um, and the secret is hard work. I mean, it's just guys that come in day in, day out consistently there morning and evening and they just like put in the reps and, and put in the work man that's all you can do really what went into the decision to sign with bellator a lot of the cffc champions get signed by either bellator or the ufc really but what made you decide to go with them um well they're the only ones who who made the offer for whatever reason i don't think the ufc is interested in me still i mean i say whatever reason i lost twice on contender series so obviously that's uh that's not a good way to, to set myself up to get into the UFC, but uh, no, they, they weren't interested in Bellator made an offer, so uh, I thought it would be silly not to jump on that. It's kind of crazy how they matched you up, though, because I think Boralio is probably going to end up being ranked one day. He's a really good fighter, and I've, you know we, we've obviously seen how good Brandon is, mm -hmm. even this past weekend getting a win. It's just it's tough that they ended up matching you up with these guys, and then you see a lot of fighters get contracts because they're knocking these guys out who have like a four and two record that have fought guys that are, all have losing records. It's just, it's a weird circumstance in my opinion. I agree. Uh, and I think Brendan, we knew he was tough going into it. Like he had a pretty decent record already. He was like 11 and three. I was like six and one. So he had way more experience than me and was fighting higher level guys. Uh, with Kyle, we, we didn't really know, right? There wasn't a ton of tape on him. We didn't really know too many guys that he had beat. Um, so that, that was kind of a weird one going into it. We didn't know how tough he was going to be, and it turns out he's, uh, he's a pretty solid fighter. And now you've got Jasmine in kind of a similar situation in her UFC fight against somebody who we, you know, nobody really knows a whole lot about. She hasn't fought in a long time. Yeah, that's true. We don't know what to expect. 
All right, well, you've got Mandel Nalo also on the card, and a fellow Canadian. Have you trained with him in the past? Because I know he lives in Toronto part-time. Yeah, I have. Uh, I trained with him out in Montreal, and then just recently, like right before his last fight, I was training with him uh, in Oakville. Um, but I haven't seen him since. I didn't even know he was on my card until like a week ago or something. I, I saw his name, so that's kind of cool that there will be some more Canadians there. You know what? Neither did I, because the, the folks at Bellator said, hey, do you want to talk to... I knew your fight was coming up. said, do you want to talk to Aaron and Mandel? And I, I looked, and I was like, shouldn't there be more knowledge about Mandel Nello, one of the top like Canadian fighters right now, fighting on a card? I, I love watching Mandel. He's such a fun fighter to watch. I know he's coming off of a loss, but... Uh, I wish that there was more, I mean, that's, I guess, why I'm speaking with him, is to give him a little bit more publicity going into that fight, but a guy as exciting as he is, it, I think people should be talking more about him. For sure, man, and I, I still haven't seen, like, any announcements or fight posters or anything for him, I just saw, I think I saw it on, like, Tapology or something, his name. Well, it's uh, good to see two great Canadians on the same card for Bellator. Uh, best of luck on your debut. Uh, Canada will always have your back, and we appreciate your time. Thank you, man, I appreciate you. He is rat garbage, and he's getting back on the horse. Second fight this year. This is the first time you fought twice in a year in a long, long time. Were you knocking down That's the right. Bellator matchmaker's doors to get another one in? We're getting the ball rolling. I said I wanted to be busy this year, and uh, I mean it. Yeah, we're, we, got, uh, we got work to do, especially after the last one. Yeah, the last one I'm sure left a pretty bad taste in your mouth. And, you know, the, the yep. Bellator team reached out to me to do interviews this week, and they said, do you want to talk to Mandel? I have no idea this bout was scheduled. And I just spoke to Aaron Jeffrey, and he said, I didn't even <laughs> yeah. know Mandel was on the same card as me until like a couple days ago. So this is slipping under the radar. Yeah, it is. Uh, who knows? I mean, I feel like that's a lot of Bellator shows, to be honest. Like, Gegard Musasi's on this card, and like only real MMA fans know about it. And I think Gegard's like, you know, Hall of Famer, le legend. And and hyper relevant, like him versus Israel or Robert Whitaker is uh, a toss up. Yeah, I, he's one of the greatest middleweights of all time. I think it's fair to say that. And, and it's crazy that he's active. Like the, the only guy I can think of that's doing it like that is Jose Aldo, who's like very relevant, but also has a history that would you know plant him firmly into like the greatest of all time at their weight. Yeah, I mean, although you can make the cases like probably top 10 all time of any weight, I, I mean, the guy's got an yeah, amazing resume. I think he's in my top three for sure as like best of all time. Top three? Okay, so who are you? I mean, GSP's. Let's take GSP off the list because I'm sure you have a, a, a built in bias from having trained with a man for yeah. about, like a decade. So who else is on your so, list? So, yeah, George, George is number one. Uh, and then I would put Demetrius Johnson and Jose Aldo in the top three uh, just because of staying power and the no blemishes on their uh as far as their credibility uh you know when it comes to being clean that's like a big knock for me yeah i mean with demetrius it seemed like as soon as he left the ufc he slipped off of everybody's list like he was everybody was oh, he's the best pound for pound guy and the top <laughs> top five all time now <laughs> people don't talk about him at all yeah ufc really controls kind of where the fans uh, faith lies and uh, <laughs> DJ just everybody's like oh yeah he's not very good I guess he, he lost a very tight decision to Henry Cejudo who's like amazing and uh, everybody just goes ah he's no good anymore nuts yeah he did to Cejudo what nobody else has done and then people put Cejudo probably exactly. ahead of him in the conversation it's it's crazy and the other thing is uh, he's um, he, he's he's willing to take risk people People weigh a, a zero on a record 
way more than they should, in my opinion. You know, maybe uh, maybe I'm wrong, but like just because the guy has a lot, like okay, George has two losses, but he smoked those guys so bad in the rematches, and that means something to me. Yeah, and people are talking about Usman now as as if he's going to be the best welterweight of all time, but. One case that I keep hearing lately, which I think is a valuable case in GSP's favor, is that the amount of different opponents that GSP beat during that run, the length of that run, I mean, I yeah. think that it's very it's, difficult to argue Kamaru at this point, even though Kamaru's a phenomenal yeah. fighter. He's, he's definitely closest, in my eyes, of, of the new crop of champions. He's the closest to being considered in that conversation. So you're never on Twitter or social media, but you have these opinions about, about the, the historical value of certain fighters i figured you would just get baited into seeing what the, the general public says about things because it seems like you know you have your finger on the pulse of what people are saying but are you, so are you just like a, a, a social media stalker do you see what people are saying and yeah. you just kind of ignore it i lurk around <laughs> i don't get involved uh yeah because what am i gonna do uh I, I first of all i sound like a fanboy because i train at george's gym and he's my friend and then second of all what am i gonna get caught like the the Greatest of all time conversation is a waste of time, generally. Yeah, most of these debates are. I mean, especially the pound uh-huh. for pound, I think, is the ultimate terror, like the ultimate worthless yeah. debate. Yeah, exactly. Because it would probably be Demetrius Johnson every time. Like if we're talking pound for pound, like if you took Demetrius Johnson's skill set and speed and all that and put it into a heavyweight's body, he's probably beating everybody, That's right? It. That's it, exactly. Like there's so many intangibles. I think, yeah, that's gen- that's true for... The lighter weights, they're just so good. They hit so hard. They have good gas. 125, 135, tough guys to beat. So you have opinions on these topics. I didn't know you even watched a ton of MMA. Do you watch? Are you watching right now? I watch the good, like like I said, I don't watch a ton of MMA, but if I'm excited about a fight, I will stay up to watch it. It's hard now, sacrificing my morning. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I hear you. I mean, you've got kids. Yeah. My exactly. wife knows that I do this for a living, so I'm able to stay up till 4 a.m. covering Glover yeah, Teixeira versus Yuri. <laughs> lucky. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't get as much rope on the other days, but, you know. Uh, Just, yeah, exactly. It's a work night. Sometimes. Are you watching Olivier fight tonight? I'm, again, this is a pre-taped interview, yeah. but he's, he's fighting tonight. I'm going to try to catch that, yeah. Uh, Olivier and uh, Alex Martinez, who's a guy that's been to TriStar a bunch, he's fighting. I didn't realize that. He's in the main event against Clay Collard. Uh, Olivier's mm-hmm. got a tough matchup. Haush Manfio is the real deal. Hasn't lost in a long time. Yeah. Uh, I just think Ollie is he's catching his stride as a competitor. Like In Eastern Canada, we suffer from not having enough competitive experience. We're, like Everybody here saw George's trajectory and just figured, okay, I got to go 10-0 and and I got to make it to the UFC and then everything's good. So Everybody kind of protects their record, so we don't get a ton of fights. So by the time we're in the big show, we have like six fights, and we're like fighting, fighting guys with twenty fights or whatever. So I think finally Olivier is seeing his potential. I imagine you probably had that problem when you were fighting on the regional scene, because whenever I spoke to anybody from TriStar, your name would come up as like the next big guy at TriStar Gym. Yeah, uh, I'm I'm lucky I got the call from Bellator at six fights because really uh, I wasn't. I wasn't getting matched up anywhere else. And now you're getting Bryce, uh, Bryce Logan in your next fight. Was this a matter of whoever they threw at you, you were going to take the fight as long as it was on the timetable you wanted? Yeah, uh, the date was good. And really, anybody on the roster, I'm down to fight. I mean, as long as the money is fair for the matchup, 
I just want to, I think I'm good. Like, the, even though the last fight was a loss, if anybody watched that fight from a technical standpoint, I think I showed that, like, I'm I'm very good. So uh, me and Faraz were happy with any matchup. In that last fight, did something slip at some point in time? Did you just have a, a mental lapse for, a, you know, a moment that basically allowed him to take over the fight? It's a, it's just a lack of <clears throat> experience. Like, you watch a guy like Israel Adesanya who's got, you know, I don't know, 80 fights at this point. Uh, when he gets a guy hurt or he feels like he's better than a guy, he doesn't hunt hunt for the kill. He's, he spends a lot of time walking around, fainting, faking. John Jones is another good example of a guy who has a lot of finishes, but, you know, he realizes that you can't always just hunt for a finish because you're exposing yourself uh, and when a guy is backed into a corner, a lot of time he's going to swing for the fences. So that's where I was like, oh, okay, I'm, I'm like, I'm landing, I'm knocking this guy down. Let me just go out and get a finish. And uh, obviously I paid for it. So it's just me not being uh, mature enough in the cage. Well, you're 32 years old at this point in time. How many more years do you think it's going to take for you to get that experience? Because, I, I mean, the clock is probably ticking on your prime years in MMA. Yeah, you, you learn fast, so I don't think it'll take an amount of years. I think it's just going to be like a busy a busy year, and I'll be there. And then uh, I want to like make a good run and see what happens from there. But the plan has always been to keep going for another four or five years. The lightweight division is pretty wide open. Uh, they have the next title fight, Sydney Outlaws, challenging <clears throat> For the title mm-hmm. against uh, Patricky Pitbull, so w- when um, how, how long do you think it would take you to climb up that ladder? Depending on how well I do in the next, uh, like as far as exciting wins, because I know they they like those. I, I think you know by mid next, like this time next year, if I'm busy, I could be fighting for a title. I always go on your Instagram to see what kind of art you've got going on. One of them looked like it was a cassette tape cover. Is that was that intentional? Uh, I don't think so. It might have actually been a cassette tape cover. I'm trying to think of which one it was. Oh, the last one. Yeah. Uh, no. It. It. Uh, I like the way that looked. The grateful <laughs> the one. That. The grateful one. That's that's the one I think. Yeah, that was a thank you uh, to all my training partners and coaches. Go back and look at it because it looks like it has the cassette spine and then a small panel in the back. Maybe it was unintentional, but you, but you somehow, the idea of a cassette cover went into your head when you were doing it. Probably. Probably, <laughs> yeah. Some kind of random inspiration. Last time we spoke, you mentioned you were going to come out to Low just to hear how it sounded on the speakers. Now, I know that night didn't go your way, but how did Low sound on the speakers? At home, it just sounded like the song, but I'm sure in the building, you probably felt the ground shake. Yeah, it, it sounded pretty good, but, they'll, you know, those arena speakers aren't, uh, they're, they're not for audiophiles. So <laughs> it wasn't as good as, maybe I'll go with something with more bass this time just to see how that feels. Well, it's not for audiophiles, but that's why low is good because it'll create the reverberations, like the, the, the distortion yeah, in that like, will be, you know, that's a good, that's why I thought rattles. it was a good pick. Yeah, uh, it didn't resonate as much as I hoped. Cool song, though. That's a great song. That's a great album. Um, well, we were talking about mm-hmm. music before we got started. I'm sure we'll talk a lot more about music in the future. But for now, I know you've got uh, Bryce Logan on the mind. You've got a big jug of water, so I'm sure that the weight cut is already uh, underway. It has begun. 
Mm-hmm. <laughs> and you're, you're heading out to uh, Uncasville very soon. So uh, thank you for your time. Really appreciate it. And uh, best of luck this, uh, this coming weekend. Thank you, man. I appreciate you. As always, a massive thank you to all of our guests this week. A pleasure to speak with Armand Surkian, Mateusz Gamrod, Neil Magny, Shavkat Rachmanov, Don Davis, Aaron Jeffrey, and Mandel Nalo on this week's show. Always great to catch up with them and talk about all things mixed martial arts. A lot of great prospects on this weekend's card. Really looking forward to it. And uh, once again, if you have the opportunity to subscribe to the show and leave a review, that is always very helpful to us. We love seeing the reviews on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. And thank you to everybody who's already done so. And again, as I mentioned on the top, at the top, new format this past week. Trying it out. Want to see how it goes. So please send me a message to let me know what you thought. Always eager to hear your feedback on the TSN MMA show. So thank you to all of our guests. And thank you to you, the listener. We'll be back next week from Las Vegas. It's UFC 276. And we've got a bunch of coverage planned. Uh, an interview with Dana White in his office. A lot of the fighters that are going to be on the card as well. And we'll be at Radio Row doing interviews. A lot of things going on next week. Hoping to also be at uh, the events being held by uh, Morning Combat. I think the Comey event might be doing an event as well. I'm going to try to get as much face time in with as many people as possible. So if you see me on the Las Vegas Strip or anywhere in Sin City, please feel free to stop me. Say hello. I'd be happy to take a picture with you if that's of interest to you. So uh, thank you to everybody for tuning in. And we'll see you next week. Thanks for listening to the TSN MMA Show. For all the latest UFC news, visit tsn.ca slash UFC.